The series that we're doing right now is Church by the Book. The book, Pastor Sam helped us understand in the very first message, is the Bible. Uh, Everything that we need to know about in order for our church to to thrive, to do well, to grow, we're going to get that from the book. And if we don't take our cues from the Bible, then we're pursuing the wrong things. Um, Several years ago, uh, I got a free book, a free Christian book, that in retrospect, I probably should have just left in the free bin. It was called 10 Stupid Things That Churches Do to Keep Themselves from Growing. It wasn't a very workable title, in my opinion. Um, but the question was, what are, what are some things that churches need to do in order to be successful, to grow? And some of the things they proposed were as important and as crucial as this. Get a bigger church sign. (laughs) Move your building out from behind the abandoned Kmart. Stop disciplining grandma out of the church. That one didn't get as many laughs, but (laughs) thank you. The, The point was, I didn't think that helped me very much to know what's crucial and important for a church to be a church by the book. What kind of things, if you were asked by people on the street, well, what kind of things does your church do that, that are really important? What do they emphasize there? I wonder if any of you would say, well, we think preaching the whole Bible is really important. We think that having some elders, some pastors is crucial. We think that having deacons is essential. We think that having church membership that's meaningful is important. And don't forget, church discipline, we need to do that too. Do you think that most people would immediately think of those things when it comes to terms of having a church that's healthy and a church that's growing? Well, that's what we're proposing in this series. We're saying that the very things that sometimes get overlooked, the very things that get assumed at times, that they're just happening and that they always will happen, so don't focus over much on them. We're saying not to focus over much on them. We're saying to focus on them by the book. And that's what our hope has been thus far in this series, and that's what I'm tasked to do today when it comes to church membership. Church membership isn't one of those sermons that you hear about very often. Um, if you're tempted to kind of put together my outline before I preach today, maybe you're thinking, I'm just going to preach One, attend the membership class. Two, talk to one of the pastors and share your testimony. Three, have your picture shown up here on one of the screens some Sunday. That's not quite my approach. Because I realize this issue, on the one hand, may seem like it is important. But on the other hand, some folks might look at it and say, well, at best, church membership maybe a a helpful thing, but at worst, it it can really be divisive and not helpful at all. Do we really need to have it? I'm not thinking that there are a lot of people who are in that category here this morning, although we may have some. Um, I, I know that there are other people on the other side who would say that church membership is crucial and it's important. And for those folks, I may say there may be a few of those there, but most of us are right here in the middle. We don't know that it's all that important. 
And we don't necessarily think of it as a divisive thing, but if you have it, okay, let's do it. If you as pastors say we're going to have it here, sure, um, let's just go ahead and get it over with and move on to more important things. But what I want to do is address you today. Um, I have given a lot of thought to this. Over a number of years, uh, it's become one of the things that God has led me back to again and again as I read the New Testament. When you read the New Testament, you don't encounter a verse that says, you shall join a local church. You also don't see any verses that say, you must attend your church's membership class. All right, so you could do a search like that. Those kind of things aren't in any Bible that I know of. All right, maybe there's some weird translation where that appears. But on the whole, every Bible that you likely bring here, if you do a search, you're not going to find things like that. But what you do find is this. As you read the New Testament, and what I propose this morning is this, you can only conclude that church membership is essential in the local church, that you can't leave it out, that it must be understood and pursued as an essential part of God's will for the local church. I know that as we dig into some scriptures today, there'll be a, a tendency to kind of get lost. So what I've tried to do is develop answers to four questions. And we'll be talking today about church membership by the book. Um, up here on the screens, that'll pop up in a minute, I'm sure. And you'll see a scripture passage. And I want to tell you what I did, um, whether you see it or not. Here's what I did, all right? <laughs> I developed a message for 1 Corinthians 15. In your bulletin insert, you've even got a bulletin insert in there, uh, 1 Corinthians 5, rather, that, that actually walks you through one case in one church and what happened there and how it relates to church membership. As I was preparing this, the Lord clearly impressed on me that I was trying to cram too much into that text that really I was seeing in other places in Scripture. So I went to the Lord, and I repented of that, and I said, Lord, I'm, I'm sorry for trying to cram too many things in one spot in your word. I think what I rather need to do is to go elsewhere and to work out what you tell us about church membership and to bring it together in the best way I can for your people tomorrow. Help me do that. So that's what I'm going to do now. I'm going to pray, and then I'm going to come out of that prayer, and I'll share with you the questions, and we'll dig right into some various places in God's Word and walk through what church membership should look like in the local church. And hopefully you'll see it very clearly and be led to a conclusion to either join, to commit yourself in local, local church membership here, or somewhere else that faithfully preaches the gospel and, and proclaims Jesus. Or two, if you are a member here or in another local church, that you will throw yourself into the ministry of local church membership with gusto. And that you'll live out that membership in a meaningful way by the book. Let me pray. God, I thank you for this time together. I thank you for the chance to dig into your word again in a special way this morning to talk about church membership. I perceive that this is an issue close to your heart. And it's how you've always approached your people and organized us for your glory. And so I pray that you would help me this morning to proclaim your word and to carefully walk us through it in a way that's helpful. For those who are here who need the clarity of this, and all of us do to one degree or another. Help us to know your, your teaching, your mind, your heart. And help us to make the appropriate steps of obedience that you call us to. For your name's sake, amen. All right, so here are the four questions that I will walk us through today. In the first place, question number one, 
is church membership in the Bible? And that's a really important one to go through first. Second question is this, why commit as a, a member in a local church? Why commit as a member in a local church? Number three, how do you join a local church? How do you become a member? And number four, what are members responsible to do? And here's the good news. Uh, my points this morning get exponentially shorter with each one, all right? So in this first point, if, as long as it goes, you're going to be thinking, whoa, this is going to last forever if there are four points. Don't lose heart. The second point will be about half shorter. And then the point after that, about half shorter than that. And finally, we'll just breeze out of here at the last part, point, and you'll be on your way to lunch. No worries at all. Hopefully following the Lord's will in every way concerning church membership, all right? So let's get into the first question is church membership in the Bible? In short, yes. Now turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, if you will. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. I love 1 Corinthians. Uh, we're going through that in, in my ABF Covenant Grace right now, talking about the various chapters as it relates to the local church. And so I've been in it a lot, uh, digging into what's there. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 27... The Apostle Paul is giving an analogy of the church as a body, with body parts. And this is what he says, verse 27. Now, you are the body of Christ, and individually, members of it. So, boom, right there, church membership in the Bible. But, uh, but to be fair, it, it's not that kind of church membership per se. Here's what it's talking about. Everywhere that the people of God in Christ's name and authority are gathered together, that is a body. That's a, a group of people. And it should function the way that a body does, with all of our parts in working order. Now, you know here today, if you don't have a thumb or an elbow or a neck or a lower back that's working quite right, that body part is telling you that it's there and that it needs attention and care. Likewise, that's how Paul gives the import to the body of Christ. We all are a part of that body, so we all need to care for one another. In some ways, that's kind of hard to, to, to really to see the, the dimensions and the structure around it, because the body of Christ are all the people everywhere who have ever been saved and who Jesus has brought into his church, universal. But in another sense, this has been said in 1 Corinthians 12 to a local body of believers, a local church. And that's how these verses we're looking at today work. They're, they're talking about the church, but in places where the New Testament writers talk about the church, they rarely talk about that universal church everywhere, and usually they're talking about the local church where you're rubbing shoulders with people all the time. Just like me, I am a, a local body right here. What do I mean by that? Well, there's not a part of my body that is right now independently operating over in Loudoun County. I, I can guarantee you that, unless there's something going on that I don't know about. All of my body is right here. I am locally the body of Joe Capel. That's really weird. It feels like I'm, I'm speaking some strange thing, but it's an analogy. A local church is an identifiable body of believers in one place, such was the case in Corinth. And here's the important thing to emphasize here. There has to be a way to identify who's in that body in one place. 
and there has to be a way to mark them off. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 5. Turn there, if you will. 1 Corinthians chapter 5. This comes from the text that I would have preached, so I know it pretty well, all right? So at the end of 1 Corinthians 5, Paul has gone through a lengthy description of what to do about a particular case of sexual sin in the church. There was a man who was in some way committing sexually immoral acts with his stepmother. And Paul says that is, that is wicked. And the pagans, a pagan is somebody who does not bow to Jesus, doesn't worship Jesus, doesn't know anything about him likely, that not even the pagans agree with. And so he says, you are to, you are to put this man out of the church. In verse 2 he says, uh, you are arrogant, you Corinthian believers. Ought you not rather to mourn about what's happening? Let him who has done this be removed from among you. So in one sense, there's a group that can be identified as a group of believers that somebody could be included among. And it's identifiable. Down in verse 12, this is what Paul says. Um, he's referring now to the people outside the church. He says, what do I have to do what have I to do with judging outsiders? Is it not those inside the church whom you are to judge? Now, this whole issue of church discipline, many people, when they approach this, they immediately write it off and say, well, that's just being judgmental. And Jesus says in Matthew uh, 6 or 7 or somewhere like that, judge not lest you be judged. With, you know, so don't judge other people. But here Paul's saying, we have a responsibility to do that. Jesus did say that, by the way. But in that context, he said, first, remove the log that's out of your eye so that you can address the speck of sawdust that's in your brother or sister's eye. He's saying, be real careful about the type of judgment that you use. If you have a condemnatory, judgmental heart, that'll be returned to you. But if you instead deal with your own stuff, your own sin before God, and then turn to deal with somebody else out of love and help, then that's the kind of judgment that he says the church is to operate. But in this point, look at verse 12 again, 1 Corinthians 5. What have I to do with judging outsiders? Is it not those inside the church whom you are to judge? An important thing here. Paul has this understanding that there is somehow a group inside the church and there's a group that's outside the church. You get that? Inside and outside. And in some way, he says that there has been some kind of boundary drawn around a group of believers that make up the inside of the church. And those outside are not in. Now, that might sound totally restrictive and unloving and unkind. But pause for a minute here with me and think about other arenas of life and the boundaries that we draw and the inside nature and the outside nature. When would you ever think it's appropriate for a middle-aged man to suddenly decide that he wants to go back to third grade? Maybe if he had to get that part of his education. But let's just say he determines in his mind, well, I'm a third grader now, and I want to go back to third grade. And to sit there in your child's third grade classroom and to take part in the school. I think most of the time we would think, eh, that's probably not appropriate. And it might be a little bit creepy. So we're going to say, let's not put you there, but let's get you the education elsewhere. Now, some in our world say, well, no, we shouldn't make distinctions like that. 
But I think the majority of us would say, well, it's helpful to know that there's an inside and an outside when it comes to a classroom. What if there is um, a UT football game going on, and all of a sudden somebody jumps out there on the field and says, I'm a football player, I'm going to play football today. Um, the team's looking at him, no uniform, no pads, they have no idea who this person is. The security personnel rush out, and they say, what are you doing? They say, I'm a football player. No, you're not. You don't belong inside the field. Get out, or we'll take you out. Right? So in, in that sense, none of us would feel comfortable if the field on which the players play just became a free-for-all, and everybody could run in and do whatever they wanted to do. We're comfortable in that arena with an inside and an outside. Paul says, likewise, the church has an inside and an outside. And note what he says. Paul is not inside the church looking at those outside and saying, yeah, they are messed up people, and we've got it all put together. No, he's saying, it's not my business to look at those people who are living outside the church and to judge them. As local churches, we get into a lot of trouble doing that sometimes. So what I'm not saying here is have a self-righteous, critical attitude that we've got it right and no one else belongs here. No, what he's saying is, whoever is on the inside needs to take great care that what goes on there is in keeping with what they say they are because they got in there somehow. They got in the church somehow and that boundary was made and it's different than those who are on the outside. Let's go back to Matthew 16 for a little more clarity. Turn there if you will, Matthew 16. We've addressed this a lot in this series um, so let's address it again. Uh, I know it's been talked about and taught very well, so I'm not going to get into the part that Pastor Sam did um, very well in, in outlining this for us. He helped us understand the context. Jesus and his disciples are in Caesarea Philippi. They're at the gates of hell, that place that was a stronghold of, of, of the world powers and of Satan. And he questions them, who do you say I am? They give him popular opinions, and then he presses them, but, but who do you say I am? Verse 15, uh, Jesus says to them, who do you say I am? Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. Jesus was looking for the response that was heaven-approved the response that was God-given. And when he saw it, he declared it to be the right confession and that Peter was the right confessor. What was the confessor confessing? Jesus is Lord and God. Jesus is Lord and God. When a person confesses that, that's the right confession. And Jesus says, I know that you have heaven's blessing on this. You are heaven approved. And that's why he says right after that, uh, verse 18, I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell, right over there, and metaphorically, shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. A very important thing right there, the keys of the kingdom. Remember I said, uh, there are always boundaries of who's inside and who's out. That's the way God's always been. When you talk about the kingdom of God, what kingdom would have they naturally thought about? Well, the, the kingdom of Israel. 
and what God had done to bring his people out of Egypt, to mark them off in the land, and to establish them there as distinct and unique for all the nations. If they had done their job right, they would have appealed to the nations to come in and to see Yahweh God and to bow before him in worship. But in Matthew chapter 16, verse 5, Jesus is in a boat with his disciples, having just confronted the Sadducees and the Pharisees, and he says, watch out for those guys. They are not to be your authorities anymore. What was their job? Those guys' job was to determine when somebody came with a question about God's will or the nature of God or who was following God or what their lives were like. They were to render a judgment. They called it binding and loosing. They would bind something in someone's life as binding on them. That's God's will. And they had authority to do that. Or they would loose and they would say, well, that's not restrictive on you. That's not what you are bound to do. Jesus says, don't trust those guys anymore. And from now on, I give the authority, apostles, to you. And what's the authority? Just like Jesus said, he knew Peter's confession was the right confession. And he says, on that confession, for anyone who comes and is awakened by God to say, Jesus is Lord and God, Jesus builds his church on those people and brings them in from every nation and seeks them out from everywhere. So let's go to Matthew 18. I'm going to build a little case here. In just a minute, I'll read verses 15 to 20. And it's kind of easy. You can remember Matthew 16, 15 to 20. And Matthew 18, 15 to 20 are the two places where Jesus talks about the church. What we're saying here is the apostles were given the authority to affirm when somebody comes and says, Jesus is Lord and God, to say that is a heaven-approved confession. That's what God awakens people to say and to know and to live out. Um, we're in Matthew 18. Let me tell you a, a brief story. When our son Josiah was born back in 2010 in Beijing, China, it was a, a wonderful time. Uh, we had two children born in China, Josiah and Elisa. Um, when they were born, there was a bit of a dilemma about what to do. When you're born in a foreign country, you don't automatically have a foreign passport. You don't have a passport for your home country. Some people have asked me, well, when your children were born in China, does that make them Chinese citizens? No, it doesn't. Um, China doesn't do that. So you have to somehow do the right thing and get the right paperwork so that your children born in a foreign country can be declared a citizen of your home country. So there we were in the hospital. Uh, a week after we took him out, we had to take Josiah uh, to the U.S. Embassy in Beijing. When we arrived there, uh, there was a long line of Chinese folks with their paperwork trying to get in to get a visa to come here to the United States. So I looked at that long line, and Lauren and I thought, oh, man, this is going to take forever to get in. We have this newborn. It's June. It's hot. Uh, what are we going to do? And then uh, we saw another sign. It said, U.S. citizens come this way. There was another line. There was nobody in that line. So we followed it up to the door, and there were two security people there and one of the embassy personnel, and they said, hi, how can we help you? We said, well, we have, you know, our son was born here. We're U.S. citizens. All right, well, do you have your passports? So we gave him our passports. He looked at them. He saw the seal. 
And the response was, you're U.S. citizens. Come on in. And in we went. And we got our son a passport too, and eventually we were able to bring him back here to the United States, didn't have to leave him in China, thankful for that. <laughs> um, what's the analogy here? Well, they had authority from the U.S. government in a foreign land to make a decision about whether somebody who came to them was a right confessor. We confessed, we're American citizens. So they looked at our credentials and they said, yeah, you are, come on in. The church is kind of like that. We have a responsibility and authority when somebody comes to us and says, hey, I actually believe in the Jesus that you guys are saying, he saved me, he's my Lord. And we, we talk a little bit and we say, well, let's talk about who is this Jesus? Well, he's the Jesus who died on the cross. He's fully God and he died for my sins. I know it, I was a sinner and he died in my place. I believe in that and he's alive today. I believe in that Jesus. That's awesome. That's the Jesus that we preach. Well, good. Let's be a church together. And it's like that embassy. We don't make anybody a Christian, but when they come to us, we say, hey, you're a Christian too. Come on in. And that's what we want to do. That's the authority that we have. How do I know that? Matthew 18, uh, verse 15, it says, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you, that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. The steps here are outlined in a way that all of us can understand. They're simple, although it's not easy to follow. But it's life-giving when we do. Step one, when somebody sins, when one of those confessors who says, I believe in that Jesus. He's my Lord and God. Suddenly that person sins towards another individual. The responsibility of that other individual is to come to that person and say, I know you confess Jesus, that he's your Lord and God, but you've done this and it's not in keeping with what our Lord has said. Um, please, repent of this. You can't continue in this sin. Uh, thankfully, a lot of times when that happens, the person who has done the sin hears that, and because he does believe in the Lord and God, says, you're right, and is humbled and says, forgive me. And if that's the case, the brother is one. That's always the objective. The brother and sister to always be one back and reconciled. But sometimes the next step is, if he doesn't listen to one, then you take two or three. The objective still is to keep it as small and as private as possible. And there's no timeline on this, the hope is that by my multiple appeals, that person will turn from the sin and turn back to the Lord Jesus and be in right fellowship with him and others. If that doesn't work, then verse 17, tell it to the church. The church. Now again, who's the church? Is this the people who just come on Sunday morning? Uh, we don't bring up discipline, difficult cases on Sunday morning like this. Because honestly, there are some people here who haven't identified as followers of Jesus, and we want you to understand the gospel. That's a first priority. But a gospel priority as well is making sure that people understand it and live in it. And sometimes when these discipline cases up, we need to know who are the church? Who is the church? Who are inside that boundary? So we call the church together, and typically we, we 
go to that individual as a church to appeal to them to turn from their sin and to come back. Many of you have been involved in such times when we've had to do that as a local church here, typically on a Sunday night, typically in a group when we pull people together and explain what's been going on. And our objective is always to appeal to that person for their lives to line up with their confession of Jesus as Lord. Look at verse 18. Jesus says, Truly I say to you, the church, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Again, I say to you, if two or three, uh, if two of you agree on anything about, uh, on earth about anything they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there am I among them. And that passage, often quoted just about thanking God that he's with us in worship, is specifically about church discipline and the authority of the local church to make a judgment call. Just like the apostles could hear someone's confession of following Jesus, the identified local church, the members, will hear that confession but they will likewise be called on to look at someone's life when they are not living in line with their confession and for the glory of Jesus Christ and the protection of the church and the restoration of that individual, we will pursue them and help them to see clearly what Jesus calls on them to do. Um, What I want to do in emphasizing this main point is that Jesus has drawn the lines so that we understand there is a need to be in the church. And if you're outside of that, you you can't very well do the work of authority in helping to lead in the discipleship and the care, hearing the, the confessions that people make, and together affirming like that embassy to say, hey, you're a follower of Jesus too? Come on in here, welcome. Or if that person is not following Jesus, to challenge them to walk with him so that we don't have the the grief and the pain of seeing someone separated from us in that way. Well, Well, friends, there's so much more to church membership. What I've just outlined is the longest point. And the point was this. There must be an inside to the church because there are certainly an outside Logically, you can't put anybody outside or exclude anybody if there is not first an identified people, identified people who are inside the church. But there are other reasons for joining a church. There are reasons that are relational and helpful. And what I want to do is outline in the second point, a little briefer than the first, why you should commit to a local church. And let me give you a few as quickly as I can. In the first place, commit to show your allegiance to Jesus. Commit to show that you belong to Jesus. That's why you commit to a local church. In Acts 2, you can write down this reference, Acts 2.41. That was the day of Pentecost when Peter preached. And on that day, it says, those who received Peter's word were baptized. And there were added that day about 3,000 souls. You later read in Acts 2 that those people gathered together and they made up the church. About 3,000 members to join the church in one day is pretty amazing. And how did they do it? Well, it was publicly, by baptism. We don't get to see that so often when people join this church because in this day and age, there are churches in all places around the United States and the world. You've probably been baptized in one of those places. 
And when you come here, it's a little bit different. But on this day, for these folks to join the church, it happened by a radical display of allegiance. Remember, people thought that the the preachers, Peter and others, were drunk that day because they were speaking languages that some people couldn't understand. So when folks who received the message of Jesus and said, he is the Lord and God, and they came and got baptized, what they're saying in effect is, I belong to this Lord and God now, and with all these crazy people who are speaking in these drunken languages. They weren't really speaking in drunken languages, but that's the perception. And that's often the case whenever you commit to a local church. But you're showing your allegiance to Jesus, and you're doing it amongst other people. All right, number two, commit for personal assurance of salvation. 1 John chapter 4, verse 20. First uh, John chapter 4, verse 20. Let me read that. Hear what the Apostle John has to say about our relationships connected to God and people. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. Here's the logic of John. And it's very practically like this. Uh, someone may come here and say, I love the preaching, I like the music, or I like I love the music and I like the preaching. Or you may say, I love the preaching and I love the music, but I really don't like the people. They bug me. So I really don't feel like I want to have my style cramped by joining those folks. I've had that kind of attitude before, and I'll tell you about one of those in just a minute. But what is John saying here? You can't have the attitude that you like the benefits of God. You like hearing about Him. You like worshiping Him but you really don't like to get into the messy situations of loving other people. Love in the New Testament is not primarily about gushy feelings. It's primarily about rolling your sleeves up and putting up with each other. I've often thought you can't really have the opportunity to love someone thoroughly until they've really made you mad. And you move back towards that person and you commit to them again. Marriage is like that. You know, how many of you in your marriages have had times when you were ready to, to give up and quit? But love is not about quitting, it's about commitment. And it's about moving back towards the other in love. Church membership on the inside is like that. We need that love. And I need you to roll up your sleeves and to put up with me sometimes, to forbear with me and to endure all things with those around you. Commit for the sake of your own assurance of salvation. How is it related back to that? Well, you can't very well say you love God if you don't love others around you. But if you commit in membership to one group of people and you throw in your life as long as you can to love those people well, then you can be assured in one sense that you're following the will of God. And what better way to do it than to identify with a group of people that are around you here? It just doesn't make sense to attend indefinitely, but not commit to the people around you. And that's what church membership in part surely is. Allegiance to Jesus, pursuing our own assurance. Note, I'm not saying that joining a church can get you saved. No, 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 no. And, and Baptists get into trouble if we ever say that or even imply that and we end up with 600 members and 30 people who come to church. Right, our intent is that the numbers of members that we have reflects who's actually here so that we can 
together and live out the Christian life. And that's the third commitment, commit for the sake of one another. Hebrews chapter 3, verses 12 and 14 emphasizes commit for the sake of one another. Hebrews 3, 12 says, take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. There's urgency in that passage. The, the exhortation, the command is to exhort one another. How often? Every day. Now, that helps us to recognize there's something about church that goes beyond just showing up here on Sunday. There's something about church that relates to the every day. And why are we to exhort one another, to really strongly encourage one another? It's because sin still exists in us. And the problem is, it's really deceitful. Sin desires to knock you off your feet and to keep you flat on your back. And being involved in a local church, committed to one another, is a means by which we can know who we are to exhort, the, the one another's that are around us that we are to pursue. If you come here sometimes and sometimes don't, if you're gone for long stretches of time, our burden is we don't know why, but we want to, and we want to know how we can help you. If there's anything, you might say, well, I'm just on vacation, you know? Well, tell us that. Help us to know that so that we can walk through things and rejoice with you. There's so many dimensions to our care for one another. I missed that totally in college. Uh, I was in Bible college, and I never joined a church. I really didn't think it was that important. I was kind of in that middle ground that I described at the beginning. I lived in a town where there were lots of good churches. So what I did was uh, I went sometimes with my friends. I had family in town. Sometimes I went with my family. And sometimes I went to a church that had good preaching. Eventually, I found some friends that went to a church that had good preaching, and I just stayed there. But I never joined. I was encouraged to. But you know what? There were a lot of things going on in my life at that time that I just didn't want a bunch of people to know. I was looking at the church, and it seemed like through their faithful preaching ministry and the elders, deacons, uh, the other members around me, it seemed like everybody had everything put together, and the church was running like a well-oiled machine. And I thought, they certainly don't want me there. And I don't even know if I can measure up to what they are. Little did I know, people in that congregation had such troubles. And what was going on in their lives was not always clear to the surface and there was some real immaturity in my heart at the time, and also some stubbornness and not wanting people to get in. I want you to be encouraged this morning that every church is a committed group of people who have things in their lives that would cause anybody to be ashamed. But we bring those to the Lord Jesus Christ together, and we pursue him together. And the text says that, we share in Christ. Let's hold that commitment firm to the end. It's an amazing exhortation, and it's what we need. Commit in the, in the, the next place for the sake of your leaders. Um, Hebrews 13, 17 says this, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. That's a command to the, the church members. Uh, people are to commit to the church, 
and to commit to the leaders of the church. Now, we could play the card and say, as leaders, we're saying you need to join the church. But what I'm saying this morning is the Bible emphasizes this for your joy. And the text even says that. We're talking about the best advantage to you. And we're talking about what's most helpful for us. On the other end, 1 Peter 5, 2 commands elders in the church, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you. Now, catch that. To me and to the other pastors and elders in this church, shepherd the flock of God that is among you. We have to know who's among us. We have to know who's on that inside. And we have to spend our time there so that our ministry will be most effective for the time when we go to stand before the Lord Jesus someday. And he asks us, did you shepherd well those that I entrusted to your care? There will be no excuse for any pastor or elder there in that day to say, well, I, didn't, I don't know who was under my care. No, we, we need to have a way to identify who a pastor and the pastors are here to care for. And finally, in this section, commit for the sake of evangelizing the world. Jesus said in John 13, verses 34 to 35, in the text, in that same storyline that Pastor Al taught last week, Jesus as the ultimate deacon, the servant who knelt and washed his disciples' feet, he gives them a command. I, a new commandment I give you, he says, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. A group of Christians who draw clear lines and say, these are the people who are in. These are the confessors of Jesus as Lord and God. And in this local place, we're together. And we're moving towards the, the aim and the goal of what Jesus wants for us. That's actually the, the place of greatest potential witness that God wills for this world. It's not the individual Christian who goes out on his own or her own trying to win as many people as they can. God bless anyone who, who wants to do that and is doing that. But as a local church, the opportunity that we have to love one another well in tangible ways that the world looks at and, and sees people sticking together even when life is tough, that's attractive. And handling things with integrity and love for others when they need to and when it's most necessary. That's not found well out in the world. But if a church does it by the book, that's God's will. And what better way for the church to send people out than like they did in Acts? They get together and they know one another and they're praying together. And the Holy Spirit says, separate out for me Barnabas and, and Paul so that they may do the work that I have appointed for them. God will do that in our congregation and has done it before, and I pray he will do it again if we commit to one another and have as our aim God's work in bringing the nations to himself, to evangelize the world. Great potential in the local church. We are God's evangelism program. All right, so I've had two long points. The last two are, are quite brief. How can you become a member in a local church? Well, on the one hand, it's, it's very different if you're in a place like Saudi Arabia or in deep Muslim territory in the Middle East. There are churches there, but you know what? They don't have a membership class. 
They don't have a piece of paper that every member signs. But this is how it works there. If someone in a Muslim-occupied country where it's illegal to bow down to, to Jesus Christ, when they become a Christian, they go and they, God leads them to a place where other believers are, probably in secret around all those people. They are baptized. And for their own security, they don't sign a piece of paper indicating who all the believers are because if the wrong people got that list, they'd go off and get every one of them. But I'll tell you this, if one of those people who is baptized and commits to Jesus and confesses him and one of those churches disappears, the others in that church will certainly know about it and they would pursue that person. And in that place, it's dangerous and deadly to stick your neck out there and to say, I believe in Jesus. But those are the stakes that Jesus says are at play there as well as here. Here in the United States, we often have membership classes. Why? And we have one of those here at West Park. It's a part of how you become a member here. It, it's a service in part to you so that you know who we are as a church beyond just this on Sunday morning. And so you get to the information about how the church works and whether or not God is calling you to be a member here. We, we want you to be a member here or a member somewhere else that faithfully preaches the gospel, but we believe it's that important that we're going to call you to it. Our Life at West Park class happens next on March 17th. Make sure I get this right. March 17th at 11 a.m. in the Upstairs Fellowship Hall. How many of you, out of curiosity, in the past couple of years, have been to that Life at West Park class? Would you raise your hand? It's great. It's a great number of you. Um, when you come, you sit at a table with some of our church leaders uh, during the whole time, and we get to know those people who come. Our, our desire is to welcome them and to help them understand everything they need to know. Pastor Al typically will welcome everybody and outline what the day will be. I come up for about 45 minutes. I walk through what the gospel is. Because again, that, we need to confess that together. And that's crucial that we're all on the same page believing the same gospel, the biblical gospel. Then I talk about what we believe as a church and our church covenant. I make sure that you know all those things because those are crucial to our life together as a church. Pastor Sam comes in during lunchtime after the services here are done. And I have to say this, and I'm, I'm ashamed to even say it, but if you only come for the lunch, come for the lunch. It's great. It's delicious. It always is. And I think you would pick up some other things too that would encourage you to think rightly about membership. When Pastor Sam comes, he gives... A real helpful talk about the history of this church and where we're going now by God's grace for the Lord Jesus Christ on mission. Um, he helps us to understand uh, the, the ins and outs of ministry and the things that are coming up. And then Pastor Al comes back up and rounds out our time. And after that, we have a delightful time. A lot of people just stick around and talk to us at the table. Um, this past time where Pastor uh, Doug and Chris were sitting, uh, we gained a new brother in Christ as he bowed his head and accepted the Lord right there with Pastor Doug. Um, these things enliven us. When Jesus brings people to the church and they want to join us here because they belong to Jesus too and they see what Jesus is doing here and they want to be a part of it, we say, amen. But pastors don't have the sole authority to say, well, come on in. And the future where we're going is to bring that back to the members of this church and to say, these people want to be here with us. Here's their story. Church, is that a gospel confession? And if it is, over time to learn how to say, yes, that is a gospel confession. 
Welcome to West Park Baptist Church. Friends, what do you need to do as members? Very quickly now, show up for our services regularly. Hebrews 10.25 says that we should not neglect to meet together. At the very least, the ministry that you could do as a member of this church is to come consistently and to have on your heart that when you do, you will participate and look around for ways that you can bless other people as well as receive what God has for you that day. Number two, pray regularly. James 5.16 and 1 Thessalonians 5.17 say, prayer from righteous people avails or is very effectual and should be without ceasing. One practical thing that you can do is write down some people's names and just keep regularly praying with them. You can do that best by getting in an ABF and start praying for those people. Join one of our, our growth groups with men, with women, with, with some folks that you might rub shoulders with and get to know in ways that you can help effectively pray for them. Three, give regularly. Um, that is a responsibility, and I know Pastor Sam has emphasized that much. Here's what I would add to that. 1 John 3, 17, if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Church membership is an opportunity for you to one group of people to look around and know needs and to bless those people with the world's goods that you have. Number four, build relationships with other members. Ephesians 4, 15 and 16 says this clearly. Come back next week. Patrick Hobbs will be outlining this for us and walking us through ways that we can encourage one another in membership. Number five, attend family gatherings. Uh, this isn't something we've historically said as a responsibility of members, and I'm throwing this out for you to consider today. Our family gatherings are the once a month Sunday night times when we get together as a body, as a family, and sometimes we're hearing crucial information, sometimes worshiping, sometimes dealing with hard things, sometimes celebrating when somebody has come to Christ. But in all those things, we're doing the work of members, and we're seeking to get more people. I'm going to throw a, a particular challenge out to those members here who are in their 20s and 30s, and I'm in between that 30s and 40s, so I'll throw another 40s too. Come, guys. A lot of times what we face is a generation of people in their 50s and 60s and 70s who are eagerly there for the church. And they've been here a long time. But those of us in our 20s, 30s, and 40s, we need to own this church as well and show our commitment by coming and being the church together at times when we do and times outside when we have the opportunity to do so. So in conclusion today, we're going to sing a song. The song that we're going to sing is All Hail the Power of Jesus' Name. The end of that song talks about how every kindred and every tribe here will someday gather to sing praise to the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's the end goal for all our ministry as a local church is to see all those members someday that the Lord has gathered to sing around the throne with them. So let's do that now.